Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. All right, well, good morning, BC. So I'm excited to be with you guys today. Uh, like Joe Jr. said, my name is Matt Wilden, and I have the awesome privilege of being a part of the team here at BC and serving on the staff here. So I'm excited to be with you guys. How about that weather yesterday for 4th of July? Absolutely awesome, right? All right. So was there anybody else in this room that was up till 2 o'clock in the morning with your neighbors lighting off like what sounded to be half sticks of dynamite and, and dogs barking everywhere and your child crying because he couldn't sleep through the fireworks. That was me last night, two o'clock in the morning. So, but it's a good night and uh, had a lot of fun yesterday with the fourth. With the fourth, and uh, I'm excited to be with you guys today. So, question for you: Is there anybody in here that would say they're a music lover? They they, they just love listening to music. All right, we got a, a few few hands out there. So, um, I know myself. Like, I look back on my life, and music was a huge part of my life. I don't think there is ever really a time where I didn't play some sort of musical instrument. I remember being about nine years old. My grandparents, they had a piano at their house, and my parents made me take piano lessons. It was against my own will at the time, not something that I wanted to do. But I look back on it, and I'm glad that they made me do that. They at least made me try it, and I will definitely do, with that, do that with my kids. But I remember nine years old being drugged to my grandparents' house every single week, kicking and screaming to take piano lessons from this lady named Mrs. Wyman. And Mrs. Wyman, she was an older lady, and I remember she would teach me stuff, which was probably essential, but it wasn't cool to me. She taught me, like, nursery rhymes. Like, I remember learning stuff like, Mary had a little lamb, Yankee Doodle Dandy, what else, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, Hot Crust Buns, and I, I right? And I just remember thinking to myself, Man, when, Mrs. Wyman, when are you going to teach me the cool stuff? How am I ever going to impress my friends with playing nursery rhymes? The movie Top Gun was, was, was what was in at the time. Top Gun was cool, and all I wanted to learn how to play was great balls of fire like Goose and Maverick played from the movie Top Gun, right? Well, piano didn't last too long. I, I quit that, and I soon joined the school band. I was going into the fifth grade, and I was trying to figure out what instrument am I going to play? And here's, here's what I landed on, the French horn. <laughs> Thank you guys very much for laughing at me for that. And that's, that's pretty much, yeah, that's pretty much the reaction that my classmates had. They pretty much laughed at me for playing the French horn. I was the only guy French horn player in my class, and I was a laughing stock of the band. So I quickly realized that if I was ever to have a chance with the ladies, I was going to have to lose my French horn. So got rid of the French horn, and I played the trumpet from sixth to eighth grade. And then when I got into high school, I had some, some friends that played guitar, and they needed a bass guitar player. So I decided that it was time for me to go ahead and channel my inner rock star, and I started playing bass guitar when I hit the ninth grade. Now, not only did I enjoy playing music, but I also enjoyed listening to music. I was a child of the 80s and 90s, and in, uh, in the 80s and 90s, cassette tape was king, right? 
And I remember I used to really enjoy making mixtapes. And I didn't really buy too much music, but the way you made mixtapes back in the day is you would sit by the radio all day long and you'd wait for that perfect song to come on. And you'd have to just sit there and you'd have to push that record button right at the right time. Because if you pushed it too early, you'd get the DJ's voice and that would just mess everything up. And if you pushed it too late, you'd miss the first part of the song. So you had to hit that push, push that button right at the, the, the perfect time. And I was known back in the day to probably make a, to, to make a mixtape to woo a special lady or two, just full of, full of songs that I told her reminded me of her. So mixtapes, that was the thing. Well, nowadays, we've got iPods, and we're in the digital age. And in the digital age, you can make something on your iPod that's called a playlist. And that's comparable to what a mixtape is. A playlist is just a collection of all your favorite music, pretty much. And if you look at my iPod, you'll see a lot of different playlists on there. For instance, you'll see I got my worship playlist on there. I've got my workout playlist on my iPod. And then I've also got like different genres of music on my iPod. So I got my rock playlist, my pop playlist, but I think my all-time favorite playlist on my iPod is my Psych Yourself Out playlist. And so you'll catch me listening to my Psych Yourself Out playlist if I'm just trying to like get ready for something big. Like if I gotta mentally prepare myself, I'm gonna put Psych Yourself, Psych Yourself Out playlist on. And that playlist, it's got songs like the theme song from the movie Rocky on it. It's got songs from battle scenes from the movie Gladiator on it. And obviously, you can't have a Psych Yourself Out playlist without having everybody's favorite Psych, Your Out, Psych Yourself Out song on it, which is here, name this tune. It's dun, 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 dun. I the Tiger, that's right. Eye of the Tiger is the ultimate Psych Yourself Out song, right? So, playlist. So we're starting a new series this week. Joe is talking about it, and it is called I'm Not Blank Enough. And what this series is all about, we're actually going to be taking a look at some of the playlists that we all play on our mind, some of the things that we all deal with from time to time. And I'd argue that what we're going to talk about today is something that each and every person in here has dealt with at one point in their life. And that's this, it's I'm not good enough. See, a lot of times we'll put this, we'll put this song or this playlist on repeat, and it sounds like this. I'm not good enough, 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 I'm not good enough. And we'll tell ourselves over and over and over and over that we're not good enough. I'm not good enough at my job. I'm not good enough at school. I'm not a good enough athlete. I'm not a good enough parent. I'm not a good enough person. And I'm definitely not a good enough Christian. How many of you guys can relate to something like this? Maybe your boss has asked you before to do something at, your, at, at work, and you just think to yourself, ah, I definitely can't do that. I'm the wrong person for that job. I don't think I'm good enough for that. Or how about this one? Maybe your friend has been asking you to volunteer at church and join the team that they're on, and you just think to yourself, huh, if they knew how I behave during the week, they definitely would not want me to join their team. They don't know that I went home Monday and I cussed out my neighbor. They don't know that I kicked the dog on Thursday. 
They don't know that I yelled at my wife and my kids before we came to church today. I am definitely not good enough to volunteer at church. See, I think, think what happens is we get stuck in what I like to call the performance trap. And here's what the performance trap is. It's when we devi- define ourselves by what we do instead of by who we are. And what I mean by that, see, the performance trap is this works mentality where we're in this state of mind where we're just constantly striving, we're just constantly trying to be better all the time, and we're never quite satisfied with how good we are. We never quite feel like we, we meet up to the standards that we set for ourselves. And I think it's easy to get caught up in that. And the reason for that is, is because we're praised for our performance. We receive praise for our performance. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. So I got a son. His name is Isaac. Isaac is 18 months old right now, and you may know Isaac as the little kid that wanders around in the lobbies before service and after service, and he'll just go up to people, and he'll go bump, bump, and he'll just try and fist bump every single person in the lobby, and he is relentless with it. He will just keep his hand out there until you bump him. So that's my, that's my son, Isaac. And Isaac, he's, he's learning. He's growing, just learning a ton right now. And he is learning his anatomy right now. So he, here's the thing with that. Isaac is learning where his teeth are, we'll say. So we'll, we'll say, Isaac, where are your teeth? And he'll point and he'll say, teeth? And we say, yes, Isaac, those are your teeth. Great job, Isaac. You did an awesome job, Isaac. Where's your chin at? He'll go, chin? Yes, Isaac, awesome job. Good job, Isaac. Isaac, where's your hair at? And then he'll mess his hair up. And he'll say, hair? And we say, yes, Isaac, awesome job. And he'll just keep doing it over and over and over and over. Why? Because he loves the response that he gets from us. He gets praise. He gets love. He gets affirmation for us. And see, we're praised for our performance. And... Uh, when we're not performing, uh, when we're not performing up to the expectations that we set for ourselves, we can begin to feel like we're not good enough. And the reason for that is, is because we're trying to get our value, we're trying to get our joy from the things that we do instead of who we are. And here's the problem with the performance trap. The performance trap, basically, good is never good enough. And I know I have definitely been caught up in this for before. Just a quick story about myself. You know, I have been attending church at BC for about 14 years or so now. So I've been here a long time. I've had the opportunity to help out in a lot of different areas. And I was very involved in our student ministry, Paramount, for a long, long time. And I had the chance to speak in services from time to time, and I'd, I'd speak at different camps and stuff, and something I really enjoyed, something I loved doing. About three years ago, I came on board on, on the staff at Believer's Church, and as you guys know, every July, Pastor Joe, he'll just take the month off just to recuperate so he can just, just prepare for, for the rest of the year, pretty much. And Joe Jr., three years ago, came to me. He's like, hey, Matt, we would love if you can take a July service. And I thought to myself, uh, don't think so. I'm definitely not good enough to fill Pastor Joe's shoes. That's too much pressure. I don't want to do that. So that was year one. 
Last year, Joe Jr. comes to me again. He's like, Matt, we would love if you were to do a July, July weekend experience. And I say, I say, well, let me think about it. I got to think about this. And um, so I reluctantly, I think about it, and I reluctantly say, yeah, okay, I'll do it. And uh, I remember we got about probably two, three weeks out or so, and I was feeling the pressure. I didn't want to do it. So here's what I did. I made up probably, some, probably a lame excuse that I couldn't do it, and I stuck Joe Jr. with it last minute. So Joe Jr. delivered. I knew he could do it, and Joe Jr. preached that weekend that I, w- I was supposed to do it. So earlier this spring, I start thinking to myself, oh, I know he's going to ask me to do this again in July. This is year three. I, I, I can't, can't say no this time. And uh, at, at that time, God began to just deal with me a little bit. And God revealed a, a truth to me that I feel like really has empowered me just to live free from this I'm not good enough trap. And what I want to do for the remainder of our talk today is I just want to share that truth with you guys. And I believe that if you guys can take hold of this truth that I'm about to share with you, that you'll be able to walk free from this I'm not good enough trap too. And it's a really simple truth. It's something that I knew, but it's something that God just really made real to me. And here's what it is, and this is the main point of what I'm talking about today, and that that is that good is never good enough, but God is God enough. Good is never good enough, but God is God enough. See, there's only one set of expectations or one set of standards that we need to challenge ourselves to living up to, and those are God's standards, and those are God's expectations, and no matter how, how well we perform, no matter how good we are, no matter how hard we strive, our good will never be good enough. We will always fall short of God's expectations for us. But fortunately for us, God was God enough. I want to share a scripture with you guys. This is Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And I believe that this scripture right here just does an incredible job of illustrating how God was God enough. It says, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. So, When we got that playlist on repeat in our mind, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, that's the enemy in my mind and in the enemy in your mind. Now we got a choice to make. We can either agree with the enemy and say, you know what, you're right, I'm not good enough. But instead, why don't we point the enemy to God and God will say, who, Matt? Matt, he is good enough. Because when I look at Matt, I see Jesus. And see, the reason for that is, is just like this scripture says right here, God, he made us holy and blameless, and we stand before him without a single fault. And that's all because what he had Jesus do for us. And we'll never be good enough to merit what God did for us, because like I said, good is never good enough. Our good's always going to fall short, but God sent Jesus to make up the difference between our goodness and what he expects from us. See, I, I think what it really comes down to is this. It's just a matter of perspective 
and really understanding who we are and, it's, and understanding the truth about what God says about us. See, take a look at this picture right here. All right, this is a 15,000-pound elephant right here, right? This elephant has this little tiny chain around its leg, and on the other end of that chain, there's a little stake pounded, pounded into the ground. Now, you and I all know that that 15,000-pound elephant, if it wanted to, it could just snap that chain in half just like that. It could rip that stake right out of the ground, but it doesn't. And the reason it doesn't is because what, how this elephant was trained. See, elephants, they're, they're from Asia, and the way a trainer will train a baby elephant to stay on that stake right there, that chain, is they'll tie it up on the edge of the jungle to a tree so that baby ele elephant can, can see freedom, and that little elephant will just tug and tug and tug. But the baby elephant, it's not strong enough to break that rope right there. And what happens is it just keeps tugging and tugging, and eventually the rope will cut into its leg and it cause the elephant pain. So that elephant associates pain with freedom. And what that trainer tries to do is that elephant is try to just break that elephant right there. And eventually the elephant will just stop trying. And when the moment that elephant stops trying, that's when they unhook it from the tree and they pound that stake into the ground. And see, that elephant doesn't understand who he is. The elephant has a whacked perspective of who he is. The rope right here that that elephant, know, that that elephant doesn't know that he could break can break in half very simply. And see, you and I, a lot of times we have a whacked perspective of who we are. We don't understand the power that we have. We've got this little tiny rope right here that says, I'm not good enough. It's tied around our ankle. And we let this rope right here just hold us back. We let this rope tell us, oh, you're, not, you're not good enough. You can't do that. You can never volunteer at church. You can never take that position at your job. You're not good enough. And that's because we don't understand the power that we have. We don't understand how good God is. And if we really knew that God was God enough, what would we do? We would just be able to break the rope right in half, just like that. See, so what I want to do the rest of this time here is just share three simple truths with you guys about what the Bible says that we are. And here, here's the first truth right here. And I believe that these three truths right here, if we can take hold of them, they're going to absolutely set us free from the I'm not good enough mentality. First, first truth is this. You're a king, not a kid. So let's talk about a story in the Bible. This guy in the Bible by the name of Samuel. And Samuel, he was a judge for the nation of Israel. And there was, uh, God, God had appointed Samuel to select a new king for the nation of Israel. And uh, there was a king at the time, his name was Saul, but Saul had kind of fallen away from what God had originally told him to do. So God was just taking his hand off Saul. So God told Samuel, he's like, Samuel, I want you to go to the city of Bethlehem. There is a guy there by the name of Jesse. Jesse's got a whole bunch of sons. One of his sons are going to be the next king of Israel. So, so Samuel goes, he goes to Bethlehem, he finds this guy named Jesse, and he tells Jesse, he's like, Jesse, listen up. God told me to come here because one of your sons are going to be the next king of Israel. I need you to go out, I need you to get all your sons and bring them here, and we're going to figure this thing out. We're going to figure out who is going to be the next king 
of Israel. So Jesse, he goes out, he gets seven of those kids. He lines them all up, one by one. The first son steps forward. Samuel takes a good look at him. He's like, that's it right there. He is definitely the next king. He has got it going on. This guy is built. He has got it going on. And God says to Samuel, he says, nope, that's not it. I don't look at outward appearance. I look at his heart, and that's not the next king right there. So one by one, Samuel goes through all Jesse's sons, has him step forward. Second one, not the king. Third one, not the king. Through all seven. And I want to pick this story up here, and we're just going to go ahead and read what happens next. This is 1 Samuel chapter 16, 11 and 12. It says, Then Samuel asked, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So this was Jesse's son, David, right here. And see, Jesse didn't even see David worthy to bring him in and put him in this lineup of all his sons. Jesse saw his little boy that was out in the field tending to the sheeps, tending to the goats. But when God looked at David, God saw potential. God saw a king in David. He didn't see that little boy that Jesse saw. And when God looks at each and every one of us, he sees potential in us. See, we're kings, and we are not kids. Here's my next point. You're a saint, not an ain't. You're a saint, not an ain't. So let me explain what I mean by that. So if you ask any of my friends, they'll all tell you that, like, I'm, a, I'm an all-in kind of guy. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to go all in and do it. My wife and I, Arianne, we have been married about, we're going on, going on four years now, and she owned a condo before we got married, and I was going to move into the condo once we got married, so it was, it was about two weeks before we were about to get married. I was just trying to get some of our stuff ready, and what we had realized is, you know what, we don't have enough storage for all this stuff that we got at our wedding shower, like all this kitchen stuff. So she's like, Matt, can you build like just a, like a, a lazy Susan or some type of cabinets in this closet right here? I'm like, sure, honey, I got this. I can do that. So she goes to work the next day. I go over and I get to work. Let me tell you, I got to work because I looked at that thing and see, this, this was a black and white thing for me. I could have either made a little lazy Susan right there or I could have knock the wall down, which I did. I knocked that entire wall down, and I made a walk-in pantry for us. And I'm thinking to myself, man, she is going to love me for this. We're getting ready to leave for our honeymoon in two weeks. We're getting married. She is going to love this walk-in pantry that I made. And rightfully so, she came home, and she was not very in love with me for the mess and the disaster that I had created in our home through knocking that wall down right there. But I did get the mess cleaned up and I did get the pantry finished before we left for our honeymoon. I'll, I'll add that in there. So, but what, what happened? So for me, like I was all in on that. There is no middle ground for me whatsoever. That, that was black and white. When it comes to being a saint, it's, it's black or white. You're either a saint or you ain't. You're a saint 
or you're not a saint. Let me read this scripture to you. I think this does a great job of illustrating what I'm talking about here. It says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenius, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord, our, the, name of, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So what's going on here is Paul is writing this letter right here, and he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth. So this letter right here, it's addressed to the whole entire church in Corinth, and then it goes on to say, to those sanctified in Christ. Sanctified in Christ just simply means that you're a Christian, and he says, called to be saints. So the bottom line is if you're a Christian, you're a saint. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If you're a Christian, you're a saint. Some people believe that if, if uh, in order to be a saint, you have to die first, and then you need to be declared a saint. But the Bible says that either you're a saint through being a Christian, or you're not. So what, what exactly does it mean to be a saint? What I want to do is take a look at this word right here. It's hagios. And this word is the original Greek word for, for the word saint. And what it means, it means consecrated, div consecrated, divine claim, or ownership. And this word, it's not a result of personal character. So to be a saint, it's not a result of how good you are, but it's all about being set apart by God. See, a saint, it's just simply someone that's called or someone that's chosen by God. A saint is a Christian, and either you're a saint or you're not. It can't be achieved. It's, it's given by God. So you're a king and not a kid. You're a saint and not an ain't. And the third thing you are, you are drafted. Excuse me, you're a first round, not a last round. I'm a huge football fan. I, uh, my, my friends and I, we've made it a bit of a tradition the last few years. We get together and we watch the um, first round of the NL NFL draft. And really what that means is we get together, we each bring just an absurd amount of food, and we just eat way too much food, pretty much till we're absolutely miserable. And then we will yell at the television for the next two or three hours at how horrible the picks are that all our favorite teams are making. So the, they, say, they say this about a first round draft pick. A first round pick is actually someone that an organization will, will pick up to build their whole entire team around. Teams will change their entire makeup to build their team around this first round pick. Now, not only am I a big football fan, I'm also a Browns fan. All right. We'll talk after service. Hey, the one thing that a Browns fan has going for him each and every year is hope. Just the, the fact that, you know what? Next year, it could be better, right? So the Browns, the, the Browns have a, a bit of a, a, a disastrous track record when it comes to making first-round picks. Like, they, they mess it up every single year. I don't know how they do it, but they, they definitely do it. Last year, they drafted this guy. You may have heard of him before. His name was Johnny Manziel, or, or Johnny, Johnny Football. And let me tell you, Johnny Football had a horrible 
first season. It was completely disastrous. When you look at a, fr at a, at a, a first season, it really couldn't have got any worse than it did. He was definitely more known for all his partying and stuff that he did off the field than what he did, did on the field. Let me tell you, fortunately for us, God, he is way better at making first-round picks than the Cleveland Browns are. <laughs> Check out this scripture right here. This is Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. It says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us in his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Pleasure. God decided in advance before he created anything whatsoever to adopt us or to draft us into his own kingdom. We weren't an afterthought for God. We were the first thing that he planned out. We were our first round draft pick for God. And just like NFL teams or professional teams will build their entire organization around that team, that's the same plan God has for us. We're all first round draft picks, and it's God's goal to build his whole team around each and every one of us. So you're a king and not a kid, you're a saint and not an eight, and you're a first round, not a last round. I'm going to wrap things up here real, real shortly, but before I do, just have a quick story that I want to share with you guys. And this story, it's about a man in the Bible by the name of Mephibosheth. I'll try and say that real fast three times. So Mephibosheth, and who Mephibosheth was, was he was the son of Jonathan, and he was the grandson of Saul, who we talked about a little, little earlier. Saul was the king that had kind of turned his back on God's ways, and he was kind of doing his own thing and, and leading the nation of Israel astray. So Jonathan and, and Saul, they were, they were away at this battle, and it just so happens that they, they lost this battle, and they had got killed. So what had happened is people came running into the city telling everybody that the king's dead and Jonathan's dead. And Mephibosheth, he was five years old at the time. And the Bible says that his nurse grabbed him and out of panic, she tried to flee the city. And when she was running with Mephibosheth, she tripped, she fell, and she dropped Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth's back was broken. And from that point forward, Mephibosheth, he was lame, he was crippled, and he couldn't walk whatsoever. So they finally got Mephibosheth ushered away, and they, they, they put him in safety. And he, he was there for years till he was middle-aged. Mephibosheth, that entire time, he was just thinking to himself, man, when my day is going to come eventually. I was Saul's grandson who did all these horrible things. Eventually, the king's going to come for me and try, and try and hunt me down and take me out. So one day, Mephibosheth, he was just sitting there. He was looking out the window, just checking things out, and there was a knock at his door. Knock, 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 knock. Mephibosheth's servants go to answer the door, and it's King David's, it's King David's men, and they're like, Mephibosheth's coming with us. The king wants to see him right now. So they pick up Mephibosheth. They take him clear across the country to see King David. Mephibosheth's terrified. He thinks that King David's going to kill him. He thinks that his time has come, 
and they set Mephibosheth down right before King David, and Mephibosheth just begins to beg David for mercy. And King David does this. He's like, Mephibosheth, I didn't bring you here to have you killed. See, I had a covenant with your father, Jonathan, and we promised to protect each other for as long as we lived. But now that Jonathan's gone, I want to honor that covenant with you. I want to protect you. I want to give you what I have. So King David sat Mephibosheth at his table, and he, he, Mephibosheth wasn't anything that he deserved. Mephibosheth was, was lame. He was crippled. He didn't do anything his entire life, but he sat at King David's royal table. King David gave Mephibosheth back everything that belonged to his family. He gave him back all his land, gave him back all his animals. Mephibosheth didn't deserve any of that whatsoever. It was just simply because who he was and not because of the things that he did. And I would say that each and every one of us, we're just a bunch of Mephibosheths, I feel like. And if we're not, not deserving or not worthy of any of that, but it's what God did for us. And it's more about who we are than the things that we do. And see, we're all going to leave church today. And I think each and every one of us are going to be faced with different situations that try to tell us that we're someone we're not. Situations that try and tell us that we're not good enough. So what I'm going to challenge you guys to do when you leave here today or in the coming weeks, when you're faced with these situations right here, I'm going to challenge you to not buy into it. What I love to see you say is, you know what? You're right. I'm not good enough. But God, he's good enough. And it doesn't matter where, where, where I'm at with things. See, you're a king and not a kid. Recognize your sainthood and realize that you're a first round not a last round pick. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name right now, and I just thank you for the opportunity that I had to, to speak with all these awesome, awesome people today, God. Did the best I could possibly do, Father, and I thank you for just picking up where I left off, and just, I ask you to just speak to people's hearts, minister life to them, Father. I thank you for doing a work on the inside of them in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Go ahead and keep your eyes closed and your heads, heads bowed. I just want to extend a, a quick invitation here real quick before we dismiss, thing, dismiss things. So one thing that God promises each and every one of us, he says he promises us an incredible life here on this earth. doesn't necessarily mean that it's not going to be full of challenges, but he promises us an incredible life and he promises us, promises us eternal life. And the thing about it is it's not about what we do or how we act. The Bible says that it's a gift given to us just simply by God's grace and that there is nothing we can do to earn that. And all we simply need to do is put our trust and put our hope in Jesus. The Bible says that if you believe Jesus is Lord and that you confess him with your mouth, that you will be saved. So I just want to say a quick prayer right now. And if you've never said this before, just say it from the bottom of your heart. And like the Bible says, you will be saved. So repeat after me. Say, dear God, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for my sins. I know that there's nothing I can do 
to earn your love to, or to receive eternal life. So right now, I just put my trust, my hope in Jesus, and I commit myself to living for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.